1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man?
0: Not too much, Andrew. I'm going to start things off a little bit differently this episode. I don't think I've ever done this before, but I'm going to come straight out and beg, okay? And look, nobody wants to give us sympathy uh, as journalists. There's a lot harder jobs in the world, but I, I can speak for myself. I'm pretty sure I could speak for you. My fingers are sore. I'm seeing double because I've been staring at my computer screen. Trade deadline week is a long week, Andrew. And both of us, you know, we wrote our behinds off. And I would like to encourage everyone to not only listen to this podcast, and we're going to try to bring you about an hour of heat, breaking everything down, but go out there and click for us. You know what I mean? Go out there and and make those clicks rain for your boys, Ben and Andrew.
1: (laughs) Make those clicks rain. It's funny because I wasn't going to even bring it up because I thought it would be too lame to complain about trade deadline week. But That's I- why I'm here, Andrew. Don't worry. <laughs> right. Lame's not a problem. <laughs> Listen, man, I have spent the last 96 hours texting people and staring at my phone. And then I spent all day, all afternoon writing the winners and losers column, which wound up being like 3,500 words. My editor was like, this is way too long, <laughs> but it is what it is. A lot happened at the trade deadline and it was good, but I will say there's something with like brain chemistry. I was thinking about it earlier. When I stare at my phone for too long, it, it leads to insomnia. And so the last couple nights I've been up at like three and 4am, like watching 30 Rock, uh, completely in- incapable of falling asleep.
0: Well, here's the thing, Andrew. I can't fact check you on what television shows you're not sleeping to, but I can (laughs) fact check you on your texting habits because look, we got some serious brotherly beef uh, to to work through because you mentioned just a, a minute ago how you'd spent the last 96 hours texting people. Well, texting everyone except for me, Andrew, because last time I checked, I sent you some really nice, smart forward-thinking messages when John Wall went down injured. You know, I had a whole plan. You and I were going to draft a legal brief and try to, uh, you know, uh, appeal <laughs> for an amnesty clause on behalf of the Wizards. Did I hear back from you there? No. No. Boom! A day or two later, uh, you know, after I looked at your Twitter account where you're screen grabbing your your group text messages with your other friends, not me uh-huh. because you're not replying to me, but your other little <laughs> wizards friends who are lucky enough to get replies from you. Um, I tried to shake that off, and I came back at you with some otter auto porter, uh, you know, trade analysis. Didn't hear too much, and it made me think, Andrew. Yeah, were you really walking the walk here when you were having this big spiel to Knicks fans? Because if I remember last week, you were telling them, <laughs> "Dig deep, be so powerful." Uh, you know, like have a stiff upper lip and all that stuff. And this was after they lost Kristaps Porzingis, their franchise player for you know basically the best guy they've had in twenty years. You lose a third wheel auto porter who had lost his starting job yeah. and you lose John Wall to an injury, but he was already injured. And as far as I can tell, you went into a cocoon for four days and I believe you even were posting pictures on Instagram of, uh, you know, your snacks that you were eating to like, you know, eat, <laughs> eat your way through it's the called pain. It's
1: self-care, Ben. Yes. I had a, a number of, I had some donuts. I had some, uh, Haribo, sour spaghetti. I was living good last night. Now look.
0: Okay, is that really the definition of having a stiff upper lip, eating a bunch of sweet tooth candies and just shoving goldfish in your mouth and then not replying to text messages to me, leaving me hanging? I don't know, Andrew. It seems like maybe you're a little hypocritical here.
1: Look, your point is well taken, okay? And I don't want to sound self-absorbed, but there is not a doubt in my mind that all of what's happened to the Wizards is some kind of karmic payback for all the shit I have talked about other NBA teams over the course of my life, <laughs> and particularly in the last 10 years. I don't know what line specifically I crossed that caused me to be consigned to this miserable existence until the end of time of certainly the next five years and the duration of Wall's contract. But uh, I clearly earned it, and here we are. I I
0: can pinpoint the line. I think it was when you were trying to sabotage the Grizzlies and John Hollinger into trading for John Wall while he was unfortunately slipping in his house and ripping his Achilles up. Um, In all seriousness, though, do you feel tested by this week of Wizards news? Because the Wall injury is just brutal news for wall and I thought Michael he had a great column on that and yeah. there was a lot of people I can't tell you how many messages I received Andrew and I read all of them because you weren't replying to my text that said <laughs> hey go easy on Andrew it's gonna be a real tough week for him I mean this was such a you know bruising backbreaking injury yes. that people were feeling secondhand sympathy for you who doesn't even play for the team or really have any official connection to them
1: no I certainly do not uh, but I do appreciate everyone who reached out and it's funny, look, like most of the time we talk about the Wizards, I'm kind of just joking around and screwing around. And uh, and that's how I initially reacted to the wall news in the, in the 30 to 40 minutes after it hit. And I mean, look, <laughs> objectively speaking, you have to step back and say this guy allegedly slipped and fell and ruptured his Achilles in his house. It's both like the most Wizards injury of all time and also like one of the saddest things that's happened in the NBA in quite some time and so in that respect it was like kind of a just an amazing hilarious internet story uh and then the reality of it all began to set in and I really did just turn off my phone for the rest of Tuesday afternoon and just sort of shut out the world for a little while because look (laughs) I mean I do really care about the Wizards And this is like the spiritual cousin of the Gilbert Arenas downfall. And the idea that those two guys could have trajectories so similar and so amazingly depressing... Like it, honest to God, it broke my goddamn brain on Tuesday. Yeah. Like,
0: just what do they say? Like, history rhymes? Isn't <sighs> history rhyming like really, really hard? Isn't the DC go go just rhyming like crazy right Dude, now? Dude,
1: I don't know if that's actually an expression. I've, I've never heard it before, but yes, it, whether history is echoing, certainly. And um, no, it was just awful. And look, like, it is. It's awful for John Wall, who's a guy that I think, like, the last year and a half have, has been pretty complicated, but everybody should have been rooting for him all along. He's got an incredible uh, story, and he plays his ass off and always has, at least until the last year and a half. Um, but it just, the whole hey, thing Andrew. was like too much for me to handle. And then the Wizards turn around and trade Otto Porter and get nothing back. Like, I was just. Beside myself with that whole thing. I mean, I understand well, why you have to trade let's... Otto, but to just get back like some second-round pick in 2023, Bobby Portis who sucks, Jabari Parker <laughs> who shouldn't be in the NBA. Like, I don't know what to do with this team anymore. I, we've already been over this. I don't want fan amnesty, but it was like a really rough re- week. You're you're right to be concerned.
0: And the roughest part was you had just told us at the end of last week, after getting that inspirational email from KJ, the Suns fan, <laughs> about how you would never give up on the Wizards, and sort of this is how they repaid you. Uh, we'll get to Otto Porter in a second because it was an interesting trade to look at. Okay. But can I break some news here, real quick, Andrew? Please I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go public with something that I haven't uh, mentioned previously. Last year, at about this time, I actually broke my foot, and it was no fun at all. It was awful. And look, the rehab was like. Six weeks, right? Not a big deal. Nothing compared to even what Wall was going through with the first injury where he was going to be out for like eight months, right? Mm-hmm. During my rehabilitation uh, following the foot injury, I had to go through what I'm sure Wall was going through, which is like the boot, the bag that you have to wear during the shower and all that stuff, right? Sure. And I will tell you, I'm I am not a world-class NBA athlete by any stretch, but one false step is so easy To happen in that situation. Your balance is thrown off. Everything is so difficult. You get tired by just even getting up off the couch is hard to do. The prospect of like going grocery shopping is just an absolute nightmare. Your arms are aching from crutches. I'm not seeking sympathy here. What I'm trying to say is I can see that. Wall deserves the benefit of the doubt with all these conspiracy theories. It would be so simple for him to have one false step, boom, go down. Given the severity of the injury, the complications from the first surgery, uh, you know, I I think we should just set, take all those conspiracy theories that people are throwing out there and put them in the trash can, and you know, basically uh, give this guy the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, as far as the humanity aspect of it, I have. I- the way I feel about Wall's contract is the same way I feel about Gilbert's contract, where it's like, look, if it all had to come crashing down, I'm glad that Wall is going to make 180 million dollars at the end of all this because I did. I will always love John Wall, just just like I always love Gilbert. And Gilbert got paid right before his career started to unravel. Um, but look, this is we're all we're getting too dark here. Like I wrote about the Wizards. If anybody wants to read about it, and. Um,
0: Okay, well, let's brighten it up by welcoming Jabari Parker to the nation's capital. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> no,
0: I'm just kidding, though. Well, let, let me let me ask it to you this way, though. On, on the auto trade, of course, you know, better late than never, right? Like, they're basically getting nothing for him. If they had traded him six months ago, 12 months ago, yeah. they definitely would have gotten more for him. All things considered, though, given that they've created this financial flexibility, given that they've given themselves a chance to sort of retool around Beal... Wait a second. Uh, potentially what this summer. What
1: financial flexibility did they really create? They created enough room to re-sign Trevor Ariza, who's going to be 34 years old next year. Like, I
0: You don't want Tomas back? You don't want Thomas Bryant back? I mean, I these, mean are, these are guys you've pretended to like over the last couple <laughs> months.
1: I do really like those two players in particular, but I just... I think they wanted to get under the well, under the, the tax, and that was the auto trade was the way to do it. But to not get any sort of meaningful pick, any sort of rebuilding tool back for him is just unforgivable. <laughs> like I'm sorry. Like, well, it's just so really, it's a bad way to manage your basketball team.
0: Okay, but follow that to its conclusion, though. So you're saying they shouldn't have done the trade?
1: Um. I would not have traded Otto at rock bottom value if that's all you could get. I'm convinced like what Sacramento gave up to get Harrison Barnes, I I wonder whether they could have gotten that same package from the Kings. And, you know, that's like Justin Jackson is – I'd rather have Justin Jackson on a rookie deal – then Bobby Portis and having to pay him this summer. Cause I bet you they're going to try to keep him. And I bet I'm going to have to watch Bobby Portis for the next <laughs> three to four years of my life. Well,
0: see, now you sound like a Knicks fan, just predicting the doom and gloom of future and past bad decisions. All ben, on this one decision. The Knicks
1: are going to sign Kevin Durant this summer. The wizards are going to be the wizards for the rest of my goddamn life. <laughs> I am, I'm allowed <laughs> to feel bad for myself. The Knicks fans have good things coming their way. Um, yeah well
0: you've had more success than them though recently i mean you know
1: yeah well it's a very kind of eastern conference-y success um that is almost more depressing but the the one thing auto
0: play his way out of value though i mean isn't that part of this too like he wasn't really that good this year he lost his starting spot at times are they going to move him to the bench to try to supercharge his offense or whatever their rationale was i mean this guy was on a gigantic terrible contract um you know, there is a good argument, like, is he giving you more than Harrison Barnes? That's a really rough category to be in. And a couple years ago, he was a much more effective, efficient, you know, positive contributing player. Um, you know, I'm not sure we can put all of this on Wiz- the Wizards front office, can
1: we? Um, not necessarily. I think that, uh Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we can. (laughs) The Wizards front office has mismanaged (laughs) this every step of the way, all right? Like, Otto has not been perfect, and Otto, there are valid questions about what he's really giving you at this point. I think there are a couple injuries that have slowed him down over the last few years, and I, had we had this conversation a year ago or a year and a half ago, I would have been positive that he was about to go somewhere else and have a great career, and now I'm less certain, particularly since he's going to Chicago. But um, I love that we're starting this out with the Wizards, which is definitely what the people want coming out of the trade. No, it deadline. is what the people want.
0: <laughs> it is what the people want, for sure. Um, no, I feel bad for Otto. I mean, the idea of a guy who's sort of had trouble finding himself being thrown into the Jim Boylan Shark Tank, that's no fun. Like yeah. That's not even like... Well, that's, and look, that, that is darker than Washington. I mean, they found a way to put him into a situation that's definitely worse.
1: Let me tell you who's not going to put teammates in a position to succeed: Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. Okay, <laughs> they need to figure out the backcourt in Chicago. And I like—I'm so close to really getting in on the Bulls and everything they're trying to do. And then Zach Levine is just a disaster. I'll watch five minutes of a Bulls game and be like, I can't, I can't do it. And then they bring in Archie Dinako, or I don't even know how you say his name. Like, just please find some point guards who aren't Zach Levine or Chris Dunn or the kid from Villanova. Um, Did
0: you see Paxson's comments today? He's like, you know, we really like our four positions talking about two through five. And he's like, and with Chris, you know, we're just going to play him for better or worse. <laughs>
1: Well, you know what, the Bulls are sort of living out the reality that the Wizards are going to be staring at with Portis, because they brought in Levine and Chris Dunn, and they just feel obligated to keep kind of running it out with them and and seeing if it's going to work. And like, sometimes you just got to cut bait. And um, again, that's not what the Wizards are going to do with Bobby Portis. Um, My one coherent thought here before we move on to relevant teams in the NBA... The Wizards could actually salvage the next three to four years if they wanted to start getting aggressive about attacking the rebuilding process. And um, it's a really ironic kind of place for me to be because I don't know, we've been over this on the podcast in the past. Four or five years ago, I was at war with the Process Army because I lived with Michael Levin. And I was just constantly taking shots at their their whole bullshit philosophy. And um, in a lot of Uh-oh. cases, I was right. <laughs> like, ultimately... Sounds the-
0: like you... Sounds like you want the swamp process is that where this is going?
1: It's I do absolutely want the swamp process and our roles have been inverted entirely because the Sixers meanwhile are about to spend a lot of money on a team that is probably <laughs> not good enough and so uh it just is a perfect 180 degree inversion of our roles. Um, and yes, uh, do
0: they call him Ernie brand or Elton Gunfeld? Uh, <laughs> Hey, here's my question for you though, uh, on the Sixers. Cause that's where we should go on your list of winners and losers. I believe you had them a winner uh-huh. to me. They were losers during this trade deadline season. And I understand, okay, short term, they went for it. You could say that their fans are winners because Hey, you're, you're getting this huge message from the front office that like you're a title contender this year and let's go all in let's make it count. Do you think what they did during this trade deadline was actually good for their franchise, though? Long-term, big picture?
1: Before we get there, could I just make one more whiz point?
0: Yes, of course. Let's do another hour on it.
1: (laughs) One more hour on the Wizards, and then we'll talk NBA trades. Uh, The way to start all this is to shut Bradley Beal down for the rest of the year. Tank, land in the middle of the top 10, and then trade Beal... For another top ten pick and go into next season with two top ten picks and as many other projects and high upside guys as you can find and um, and look if the Knicks Let don't me ask you land though. at number one you could trade Bradley Beal for the Knicks pick and he would be a perfect fit next to whoever New York's trying to bring in this summer and you could do the same Aren't thing you... if the Dallas are, if the Mavericks are in the top five like. Beal has that kind of value. So anyways, why
0: are you, why are you beating around the bush here? Isn't what you, wasn't the real plan to just take the Lakers scraps that the Pelicans laughed at and just import all of them for Beal. Isn't that where this is going?
1: No, look, the wizards have to dream a little bit bigger than the eventual <laughs> seventh seed with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo ball and like whoever else the Lakers want to throw in. And there we'll talk about the Lakers offer. Okay. Cause I definitely have some thoughts there. Um, But the Sixers side of it, I did like the Sixers deal um, in part and really almost entirely because I think Tobias Harris is a great fit in theory between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And he also buys them a little bit of Jimmy Butler insurance to where if this thing doesn't really work out, and I don't really think it's going to, um, they can go the other direction this summer, and they don't have to spend two hundred million dollars on the next five years of Jimmy Butler's career. And you know, every outsider can can look at this and say that's that's a bad contract. It's going to be a bad contract the day it's signed. It's only going to get worse. And um, and I think now Elton Brand will have just enough uh, room to actually say, all right, this hasn't worked, Jimmy, and we're not going to pay two guys a combined $350 million. Uh, so that's the way it goes. And and they can't say that now because like, the next couple months will get super dysfunctional in Philadelphia. But I do think that that's the way it could go and should go. I,
0: I like what you're thinking. I'm not sure that that's how they're thinking. And I also have concerns that – not only did they buy at the highest possible moment of Tobias Harris stock, like this is the Tobias bubble of all Tobias bubbles, the (laughs) all-star buzz, 20 points per game. I mean, even just go back to a year ago when he wasn't that fundamentally of a different person, nobody really got that excited when he was traded for Blake Griffin, right? Uh And when you look at his career arc, I don't think he's going any higher. I mean, he basically is who he is. And I think same thing with Jimmy, like the decline there has already started. So you're now considering paying both of those guys huge money, or at least one of those guys huge money this summer after you've traded assets for them. And uh, I, I'm i not sure the, the fit between the two of them uh, is as great as what you laid out earlier with Simmons and Embiid, which definitely does fit cleanly. On top of that, didn't they pay 200% too much for Tobias Harris, Like, given his contract situation? like If he was under contract through all of next year, you could maybe say, okay, a couple first round picks. But when I saw the Tobias Harris package, I was thinking that that's what Anthony Davis was going to get from the Lakers in terms of the picks, right? So now I'm thinking if we scale up what Tobias got from the Sixers for Anthony Davis, aren't we talking like 16 first round picks and like 14 second round picks to make that deal happen? <laughs> given, given their relative talent, you know what I mean? And I so mean- that makes me nervous.
1: Here's the thing, though. I, I actually kind of disagree there. Because if you've already got Simmons and Embiid, the the first-round picks are, are less important. You've got the guys in place, and they need to go find a third guy who actually makes sense. And if getting Tobias costs two first-round picks, one of which is a Miami pick, one of which is a lottery-protected Sixers pick that is pr- probably going to be in the 20s if all things go according to plan... Which, you know, every pick in the 20s is essentially a second rounder as far as I'm concerned. And so... <laughs>
0: yeah, well, you hate picks. This is the wrong guy to be arguing no, about no, picks No, no, I
1: don't hate picks. I think we need to be a little bit more precise in terms of how we value firsts. I think a, a lottery pick is incredibly valuable. But the, uh, the odds of getting someone who's more than like a bench player in the 20s, is, is the, the odds are pretty low. Um,
0: No, I hear you, but you're also going to be paying him, what, like $25, $28 million? And so also, in your scenario, if they get rid of Butler, now mm -hmm. the cost for Harris is two first-round picks, Shamit, two second-round picks, and Dario, and Covington, because now Tobias has cost you Jimmy under the scenario that you're lying out. There is no way you can tell me that that's a good process for Elton Brand. Come on.
1: Well... You're looking at that in the most unfair possible light. If you're adding Covington and Dario to the Tobias trade, that's completely illogical. Okay, that is a sunk loss. I mean, if
0: if you're telling me that you're bringing in Tobias because you, you you're trying to push out Jimmy, isn't that aren't those two things related? And if you can't pay both of them, aren't those two things directly related?
1: Um. Yes, but I I would also say that I think you're trying to sort of criticize Elton Brand when it's just as possible uh, that he deserves credit for recognizing that the Jimmy fit isn't going to work long term. And look, we should actually be pretty clear up front. That's probably not the way the Sixers are are thinking. But even if Elton Brand and whoever is running the team right now, even if part of the rationale was just buying themselves some flexibility, I think there's value in that that you're discounting. And, and I think we're going to have to kind of wait and see what they actually decide to do this summer before we judge this deal. But I would not conflate what they gave up in the Jimmy deal with what they gave up in the Tobias deal. I think that they were two separate decisions. The, the Jimmy deal made sense at the time in part because they weren't sure who was going to be available at the deadline and they recognized that they were not going to get a superstar this summer. And so that they had... a, a spot that they had to fill because the the money is going to disappear once Simmons signs. Um, but Tobias could end up being a better fit, and in which case, they that's fine.
0: I just see a first-time GM with no previous experience making two very bold, cash-in-type moves, clearing out his bench, slapping together a new bench in the process, dumping a number one overall pick who hasn't turned 21 years old yet, and trying to throw together five guys who really... You know that they're very interesting on paper they'd be great in nba 2k or fantasy but they have serious questions about how well they're going to function and he's given himself basically a three-month window before the bill comes due and it's going to be a very very expensive bill sorry if that sounds like too much risk for my
1: blood <laughs> wait a second are you killing him for the fultz trade too you threw in the trade number one overall pick That's super misleading if you're going to sort of just strip away any of the context with the last year and a half of Fultz.
0: Oh, my God. Now you're a Sixers fan. This is crazy. I can't keep up. (laughs) No, You're a Celtics fan or a Wizards fan or a Sixers fan. Come on. I'm not killing him for any of this. I'm just raising legitimate questions about his strategy. There is serious backfire potential. You can see that.
1: There's a lot of backfire potential. There's no question about it. And I do appreciate the Sixers for remaining... Completely unhinged at, at all times over the last couple of years they are at once thrilling and one of the most exciting teams in the league and also just like perpetually teetering on the brink of full-blown disaster and I think this has taken it to its extreme in the next couple of months because look like we should just talk about what the sixers are going to be on the court like Tobias Harris, Can't really play defense. That's not what he's great at. That's not why teams – it's not why anybody would want him. J.J. Redick really can't play defense, and I don't know if you've seen (laughs) him over the last couple months. Uh, Jimmy Butler –
0: That's what I mean. It's a 2K roster. It's a great 2K roster. (laughs) Team Sharp is real excited with their starting five, but is it going to work in practice? I think it's a fair question. I do like the pairing – between uh, Harris and Embiid, though, don't you?
1: I, do, I really like that pairing, and I also think that Mike Scott is going to be sneaky helpful for them. That's a kind of a random note, but um, he's going to be solid next to Simmons, and I, I hope that they get Wayne Ellington, who's a local guy. I think he could help them, too. The... <laughs> Were you online? A local guy.
0: Are you just out here like slinging cheesesteaks at this point? Like, no. what is this? This is
1: crazy. No. Wayne Ellington, one of my college friends, went to Episcopal High School where Wayne Ellington went in uh, outside Philly. And then Wayne Ellington's a Carolina guy, okay? So I'm always going to have a soft spot for him.
0: But right. he's a baller. He would be a great fit there. I hope he picks the Sixers over the Lakers, by the way. It'd be a better fit for him. Uh, more minutes, more, more shine in the playoffs, all that.
1: Well – to finish off the Sixers part of this podcast, were you awake when that trade went down? I believe it was early Wednesday morning, around like 2.30 in the morning, East Coast time. Were you up and online? Every
0: trade. I don't know if I've slept in four days. That's why I started this podcast (laughs) off, by begging.
1: (laughs) Well, yes. Uh, I was awake as well, and I was watching 30 Rock, and the trade came through. And I just want to say, like... I, I, obviously, nobody's perfect, but I saw a lot of people, a lot of like NBA reporters talking about the Sixers as if they had just assembled like a, a real super team <laughs> and, and like a big five. And I, you know, I don't really see it. Okay, that's a, that's like the most depressing, dysfunctional super team you could possibly assemble, um, and. They may still make the finals, but we should be very clear eyed about all the questions and all the flaws that are baked into that starting five. And Bede is amazing, and everyone else has some pretty big red flags.
0: That's well said. And look, I'm going to do something that I rarely do, Andrew. You know, I'm not real big on just anecdotal situations to like, you know, form your opinions, right? Like, I like to look at the big picture, don't judge guys by their best day or their worst day, but. One thing stuck with me from the recent Clippers-Lakers game where LeBron came back and kind of pulled that game out in OT. Late in the game, Tobias Harris, who had just spent the last two weeks getting uh, showered by all-star snub talk and all this from his teammates and his coaches, mm-hmm. the ball kept going to him. That's the moment you're going to step up. You're in front of your home crowd because it was a Clippers home game. Everybody's looking to him to to shoot the three-pointers You know, late in the game, kind of step up and be the man. Andrew, he wanted no part of it. It was a pump fake party. I mean, this guy's out here faking, 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 not <laughs> shooting, <fake> <laughs> you know, passing to somebody in the corner. No, I mean, like, you know, when guys don't want the moment, you know, you can kind of see it in their eyes, see it in their body language, sure. you know, clocks under five seconds, they're pump faking and passing the rock. That's how Tobias Harris was acting. And for the, that's what I mean about kind of buying him at the highest possible moment. This guy's, I don't believe he's ever been in a playoff win in his entire career. I think he's had 4 total playoff games. When you're going into Boston or, you know, you're going to the, you know, the title favorites Milwaukee in that crazy Pfizer form, you know, mm-hmm. Giannis about breathing down your neck, you know, about to <laughs> knock you out in 5 games, you need to be ready to step up, don't you? And I'm just curious like is Tobias Harris ready to be that guy cuz We know it's not going to be Simmons shooting. You know, that's another pump fake party for you. Yeah, Uh, It could be Jimmy, but he doesn't always exercise the best shot selection. And you can only force feed Joel so often. And you don't want him taking threes late in games. Like Tobias is going to play an important role for them. And I'm just, that game made me nervous. It was like, is this hype that you're describing at 2 a.m.? getting ahead of them in terms of who he actually is as a player
1: yes well and that's a good kind of that's a good segue into my three takes on the trade okay my three official takes on the sixers trade number one this is probably stupid they probably do intend to bring back all four players and it's probably not going to end well um and if they pay jimmy the sixers are going to be really depressing as early as like next december and we're and instead of a 4 or 5 year run of really exciting teams with embiid and simmons like the window w- will close much quicker than anyone expects um and just in terms so they're of gonna like be enjoyment pa-
0: they're paying super team prices for a uh, super meh Outlook.
1: Yes. And, um, I listen, as someone who has lived through the wall era, uh, as soon as you sign that contract and it becomes clear to fans that there's just no flexibility and the team isn't good enough, it becomes much harder to enjoy anything. Um, second take on the trade is, as I've already said, if this leads to them not paying Jimmy, it will be worth it. No matter how good Tobias Harris tr- is. And number three, I think you're alluding to it. You didn't explicitly say it. I think that not a single person associated with NBA media or NBA Twitter has any idea how good Tobias Harris is. And I think most of us haven't even really watched most of Tobias Harris's career because he's been playing in Detroit and Orlando And the best players on his teams have been like...
0: Don't lump me into this now, Andrew. Come on now. Don't don't say this, us. You have a mouse in your pocket. Don't say us now. I've been watching a lot of Clippers games this year.
1: You have been at a lot of Clippers games. I just think it's hard to judge the trade because to your point, we don't know how Tobias Harris is going to respond when you put him in some of these high-intensity environments. And that does sound kind of like hot takey and whatever, but, um, I'm really curious. Not at all. And I, I think he could be better than anyone expects. Well, actually a lot of people expect him to be really good. He could be that player and, and he could be exactly what Philly needs to sort of like space the court and make their lineup, make a little bit more sense than it has. And, um, and if that's the case, the Sixers are going to be pretty interesting. And a lot of it is going to depend on, you know, can they guard anybody, but, um, they, okay. 15 second
0: interjection. Before your third point, the Clippers <laughs> from management to coach to teammates, everybody loved Tobias Harris as yeah. a person, as a player, as an offensive fit, as a guy who knows when to kind of get his shot and and how not to ball hog, all of that stuff. They all swore by him, right? Like they were not trading him out of any malice. And that's been sort of repeated to me, you know, multiple times. So you are getting a really, really good person and citizen if you're Philly. Yeah, I, I, we should throw that in while we're saying he's going to choke in the playoffs.
1: I'm not saying that. I'm I'm really curious uh, to see what uh, he turns uh, into.
0: I'm not saying it either. <laughs> I'm just I'm just nervous. That's all.
1: Uh, well, we'll see. Should we talk about the Bucks real quick because the virtue? Well, we, we should get deal. to your.
0: What was your third point, though?
1: No, the, my third point was simply that I have no idea how good Tobias Harris is. I'm not going to speak on behalf of anyone else. I, I am a little oh. skeptical of, like, how certain everyone is that Tobias Harris is this, like, super efficient scorer who's going to fit seamlessly into what Philly's trying to do. Like, let's just wait and see. But I want to talk about the Bucks real quick because we don't need to spend too much time worshiping Giannis and what Milwaukee is going to be doing over the next couple months. But getting Miritich was a pretty incredible... Win And, uh, you know, John Horst yes. and like the front office, people were skeptical when he took over. People have been skeptical for a lot of his time there. Uh, but this was incredible. And to do it for four second round picks, I don't know, is this is a type of trade that would get vetoed in a lot of fantasy leagues, but it's a big win for the Bucks
0: it's a clear win uh, on a number of fronts. First of all, I liked his George Hill trade too. I mean, they set this team up with a really solid, balanced, veteran-heavy rotation. These guys are ready to go and all the pieces fit. And I know you've loved to harp on Ersan Ilyasova and, and you know how he's kind of a weak link for Milwaukee. Well, if you want to make Ersan Ilyasova better in every way and younger, okay, now you have. His name is Nikolo Miritich. Uh <laughs> No first round picks going out is awesome. Uh, the second round pick strategy you mentioned was right on the money. And I think he's going to be seamless. You know, everything that people are saying about Tobias Harris' fit in Philly, Yeah, I think it's going to actually be basically like that for Miratich. Obviously not as much volume. But in terms of just like dropping him in, saying shoot wide open three pointers when Giannis passes to you, uh, it's going to be easy. I think he's going to hit the ground running, and you know he's got the playoff experience just like George Hill as well. One other point, real quick on the Bucks: um, Did Giannis bring more charisma to the NBA All Star Draft than LeBron did? I think he might have, Andrew. Like I was sitting there watching. You know, I have these green colored, you know these these Bucks green colored glasses when I watch Giannis ink on the big stage. That is a huge moment with Shaq. Charles, the whole world watching, you're picking your teams. Giannis's joke writers were incredible. I don't know who wrote his jokes, but he, he delivered the bars brilliantly. He was making LeBron crack up, and I kind of felt like it was one of those passing the torch moments where like, okay, Giannis has not superseded LeBron yet, but this is going to be one of those moments that we're going to remember where it was sort of like two ships passing. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: I can't, I can't quite get there with the all-star draft as far as a, a really <laughs> momentous torch passing. Um, but uh, I did love it. And I don't know how many people listening to the podcast will have actually watched the show, but Giannis was legitimately funny not just like athlete funny not kind of like uncomfortable canned laughter
0: he was jabbing people man he went after LeBron for tampering (laughs) he told Shaq to call him Superman I mean it was just heaters that's what I'm saying who wrote his jokes
1: I don't know I'm really excited to have Giannis actually in the mainstream I saw a couple people saying like Giannis can be a star anywhere and it doesn't matter that he's in Milwaukee I think that's true I do think that he has still flown more under the radar because he's playing in Milwaukee than he would have if he were almost anywhere else in the NBA and uh which is only to say that I'm more excited when the like the rest of America finds out how awesome he is both on a, on the court and off the court and so um Thank you for bringing that up. I wasn't going to mention it, but I did really enjoy it. Like my my exact thought during the all-star draft was like, I could just watch Giannis give LeBron shit for like the next two hours. Like, let's just keep this selection show going.
0: And with that being said, LeBron killed him on the draft, though. I mean, like KD, AD, I mean, his team is stacked hard. And I mean, uh, I appreciated Giannis's no. loyalty to Chris Middleton, but LeBron destroyed him in the draft.
1: I do not agree with that whatsoever. Giannis has Embiid and Steph Curry. Really, those oh, three yeah. players, that's all you need. Giannis is going to win the game.
0: So you mean a seven-foot center who's not going to be any help in an all-star format and Steph Curry who got locked up by LeBron and KD last year in the all-star game? Those guys?
1: <laughs> Steph did have a really bad all-star game. Uh, and Bede was really good last year. Anyways, the Bucks are set up. I do think it's very interesting. Zach Lowe made the point initially that uh, I, I think he was talking about them a, a month or two ago on the Bill, Bill Simmons podcast and was saying, you know, Philly is betting on talent and upside being the most important thing when you get to May, and the Bucs are, are betting on fit and fit around Giannis, and, and Miritich certainly um, fits that vision. Uh, I'm saying fit too often now. but No,
0: no you're, you're on it. I mean, you throw in an extra beard, you know, like he's probably going to grow that playoff beard. It's just going to take the cute story to the cutest story, right?
1: So what do we think? do who's making the finals out of the east is is milwaukee the favorite is it is it philly
0: foe 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 milwaukee i don't see who beats them they're unstoppable right now no i'm kidding (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you thought i was serious there for a second because you're tired
1: no it's not that i thought you were serious it's just that like Somehow you've become more pro Bucks than I am, and um, it's it makes me uncomfortable. I've had some Bucks fans take me to task for not being high enough on the Bucks. Somebody somebody moved for me to be removed from the board of Giannis Inc. To which I can only oh say, my gosh. Look, here is the deal: I am a fan of Giannis first. Okay, I am going to be objective <laughs> about the Bucks, and I will be a sycophant when it comes to Giannis, but. Um, I'm trying to keep it more even keel with Milwaukee, but anyways, with that, I'll let you continue. Rank your rank your no. favorites.
0: Can we just all pause and take a moment to hear how Andrew perfectly pronounced psychophant? <laughs> you nailed it. That, that was fantastic. Look, but um, I'm a
1: psychophant for life when it comes to Giannis.
0: You said Milwaukee or Philly, and I don't like that framing. To me, it's Milwaukee or Boston as the top tier, and the second tier is Philly and Toronto. Am I crazy?
1: Um, you're not crazy. I do think that, here's the I think that Boston poses the greatest threat to Milwaukee but I think that Philly could beat Boston with the amount of firepower they now have um whereas I think stylistically the Celtics can give the Bucks the most trouble uh, because they are able to target whether it's Brooke Lopez they'll also go after Miritich mercilessly um Whereas I think Boston and Philly, that series will just be a war. And it, at some point, like talent wins out. And, uh, and that's what I would worry about if I were a Celtics fan.
0: Interesting. Hey, on the Toronto front, um, we should probably start bouncing around some of these teams. I mean, you look at the Gasol move, like how sick would the Raptors be if they had 2016 Lowry, Gasol, and Butler? You know what I mean? And I'm trying to get over that mental hurdle when I look at this Marc Gasol move for Toronto because... I feel like when I watch those guys, you're just going to be sitting there thinking like, man, it's really too bad they're all not three years younger. You know what I mean? It's really too bad that we're watching like kind of a decayed version of these guys versus what they could have become. And I just wonder, was this a panic move from Masai, you know, with an eye towards Kawhi Leonard's future? Like, is he just kind of pulling a big trigger just to do it, to try to send a message to the guys that everybody should stay bought in? And, you know, this is still their year because... I don't know. I'm not as high on Marcus Gasol as a lot of other people. I don't think the gap between him and Jonas Valanciunas is really that wide. Mm-hmm. And then when you're Toronto, you're mentioning matchups in the playoffs. Like When push comes to shove, aren't they going small with Ibaka at center in the playoffs? Or do you think they're going to be able to try to keep Marcus Gasol on the court in the fourth quarter? And if they don't keep Marcus Gasol on the court, how is he going to handle that? I mean, this guy's been the man in Memphis for, what, 12 years straight? And all of a sudden, he might get benched for smaller lineups when they need to go more versatile. To me, that's just Well, you know, I, I think there there's some hidden risks with that move. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. I don't really anticipate him having trouble being benched because I think he's gonna be really happy to be on a winning team that has a shot at the finals for the first time in his career. Um, but I do think that, you know, I think when you spin it forward and think about what the Raptors really have in the playoffs and, and when they're gonna be at their best. I was anticipating, you know, trying Siakam at the 5 sum and trying to go super small and, and fill the court with wings. And, like, I just... Gasol doesn't really move the needle very much. I think maybe it was strictly, like, Masai trying to give them an emotional lift because Valanciunas wasn't going to move the needle either. Um, and the the price was low. And just sort of, like, see what you can get and see, see what you have with Gasol. He just... He hasn't looked great. And maybe he'll look like a different player in a new situation. Um but uh but yeah, I think that like the Raptors, I mean we we both did winner did you do a winners and losers column today?
0: No, oh, come on Andrew. I patented the winners and losers column. I've been doing that since <laughs> you were at, you know, Grantland where you guys probably don't even do these.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I I did my own winners and losers thing and the Raptors are are clear losers, right? Between this trade which to me is like a lateral move and almost kind of reeks of desperation. And then also, Mm. everything the Clippers did would just really freak me out if I were a Toronto fan. Or I should say, if I were a Toronto fan who hadn't already made peace with the idea that Kawhi Leonard is like 90% out the door on July 1st, um, that's another reason that this has been a tough week. And then, you know... I really would have pushed hard to try and trade Kyle Lowry this week. And I don't know what offers were out there. I Like, if I were Masai, I would have been moving heaven and earth to bring back Conley and not Gasol or bring them both to Toronto if that's what it took. Um, and that deal, I guess, never really got off the ground. But um, Lowry is the weak link as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you on a lot of that. I think less that the Toronto's huge losers and more that the Clippers were really big time winners. And those two things are linked, like you've mentioned. I just thought the Clippers had a, a really master, masterful retooling. It's probably going to cost them a playoff spot in the West, but not necessarily. And uh, you know, to be able to get all those picks and have this sort of landing pad environment, where now you can go out there. And chase guys you can trade for, chase guys you're gonna to try to just sign out right as free agents. I just think they're in a, in a really nice spot and they can be really, really aggressive this summer. Um, you know, in terms of Toronto though, there's some backfire potential too, right? Like, let's say Kawhi does leave as you're describing, mm-hmm. and then it, if you're Marc Gasol, you have to think pretty hard about opting into 24 million. So imagine the Raptors next year with Kyle Lowry, who you've already sort of described as being a weak link. Mark Gasol, who's a year older and on the books for 20 plus million dollars. You don't have uh, Delon Wright. You don't have Alan Shunis. You've got role players in Siakam and Ananobi who no longer have the superstar to sort of look to and turn to uh, because Ka- Kawhi Leonard's not there. And you don't really have a ton of flexibility because you're paying Gasol all this money. Mm-hmm. That's pretty dark. Like, that is your window being slammed shut in your face, right? So, isn't there a very realistic chance by like, the second week of July, we're no longer talking about the Raptors as a contender.
1: Yeah, I, I would say it's it's more likely than not at this point. And, and I think that, you know, I think that might surprise Raptors fans more than it would surprise Raptors front office employees. And I, I would imagine that they entered this season knowing that that was like a, a real, real possibility. And, and look, it as far as I can tell, Masai has been trying to trade Lowry for at least the last year. And I think that Lowry understands that as well. And that accounts for some of the friction we've seen up there. Um, and when I say he's been bad, he's he's been fine. He's just not good enough for them to go where they want to go. And I would also... No, like I
0: said before, he's not as good as he thinks he is. And that's the, that's the central problem well, for
1: Well, and to just... He's been so openly indifferent to Kawhi the entire year and that really kind of rubs me the wrong way I have no investment in the Raptors whatsoever could not guy there's it's hard to find a team I care about less but just as a as an objective observer I'm just like come on Lowry like you're supposed to be like the franchise player cornerstone you've anchored this whole era and to just sort of give Kawhi the cold shoulder the entire year. And the, the chemistry hasn't been there on the court either. It's just...
0: No, not at all. It's not great. It's a great point. It, it's a great point. Lowry really is the anti-Steph when it comes to this stuff. I don't know if you saw that Spurs game the other night where the Warriors ran them off the court, and then KD had that big meltdown postgame. And we're going to get that uh, to that later in the lantern segment, Andrew. But <laughs> <Can't> during <be. laughs> that game, KD fell down. Steph Curry came running over during live action, like 15 feet out of his way to personally pick Kevin Durant up off the ground with both of his arms. And obviously he's a smaller guy. So like getting Katie off the ground was like no light task. Yeah. Just so that Katie, who's like been in this move for these last couple of weeks, would feel the love from Steph Curry. Can we see Kyle Lowry doing that for Kawhi Leonard? Or do they even talk when they pass each other in the locker room? It's
1: it's bad. Yeah. And, and it is... <laughs> It is very impressive the way Steph, because as weird as it has gotten in Golden State, I mean Steph is always there to sort. We now sound like the Light Years guys, just sort of like filleting Steph Curry live on the podcast. But he's just really good as a leader and as sort of a cornerstone who stabilizes everything. And um, the uh, what was I gonna say?
0: Well, I don't know, but I've got another beef to pick with you if that's okay. Okay. On your winners and losers, I believe you had Western Conference elitists as losers, and that's a real subtle dig <laughs> at me. But go ahead and make the case why you think that is.
1: Well, here's the thing, okay? I'll actually, let me pull up the section here. I'll just read it for people oh, on the podcast. You're going to read it live <laughs> on the air.
0: This will be great radio. Cool. Guys, just click my articles because Andrew's just going to read his for you.
1: Uh, Growing up on the East Coast, I've spent the better part of my adult life listening to Western Conference snobs drone on about the inferiority of the East (laughs) while proposing a bunch of playoff receding models that will never be approved and wouldn't be nearly as fun as these people think. And to these people, I now say, as of Thursday afternoon, The four best teams outside of Golden State all play in the Eastern Conference. The Knicks are looming next year, ready to be the super team that LeBron couldn't build himself. The Warriors will go 12-0 on the way to the finals without breaking a sweat. And until then, we're going to watch Marvin Bagley and Brandon Ingram duke it out for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. Isn't it time to have the receding conversation? I mean, really... This is getting embarrassing. The league needs to intervene. I edited that. Oh, I edited that man. lightly along the way, but uh, that's where I stand. That's how I feel. I'll I'll see. Can the floor I counter? To you.
0: <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. It's the beer goggles that go on. It's like the funhouse mirror of the Eastern Conference because they're so far behind the true talent that everything looks amazing when you make these minor deals. Look at Tobias Harris, non All Star on a team that's probably going to make the lottery. Marcus All non-all-star, a team that's going to make the lottery. Nikolo Miritic, non-all-star, a team that's well outside of the lottery. Yet these three guys are guys we're propping up as, like, game changers who are going to help teams make it to the finals. Well, oh, we're look, so excited. Tobias Come Harris on, is going to be
1: Philly's fifth best player, okay? Same with Miritic. No, he's not, not. No one's bringing Miritic in to be, like, the superstar, or the oh. focal point of what so, the Bucks are trying to do, but they're going to be really good. Who,
0: who am i missing on philly that's supposedly better than tobias harris he's at least their fourth best player if not their third best player well i i think it's and jimmy butler's jimmy butler's another non-all-star from a western conference team and that that's not going to make the playoffs too so that kind of <laughs> proves my point there
1: uh here's the thing okay in all seriousness the sixers went into oracle the other night and beat the the warriors they beat them straight up that's the the only team that has legitimately kind of kicked golden state's ass in the last like six weeks. And, um, and so I think sweep
0: if they meet the finals. I mean, no, no doubt. I mean, that's I a four. Game I don't series. think
1: that's true. I think that the only team they're
0: outmatched, they're outmatched at four of the five positions. No, I mean, it's not even close.
1: No, the only teams that actually, and if this, again, this is about the entire West versus the entire East. There's no argument that the Warriors are superior <laughs> But if, while we're on the subject, the only teams that actually have the Warriors' attention ever are the Sixers and the Celtics. I don't think they respect anyone else in the East, and they shouldn't because no one else in the East can hang with them. Um, maybe I'll, the Bucks I'll take could. the West
0: top four over the East top four without a hesitation. Okay. I know you guys are real excited. This is your big holiday right now. It's the first time you guys have had this infusion of talent in a long time. Yo. But I'm watching the Lakers right now, and they just beat the Boston Celtics 129-128 by a buzzer beater by Rajon Rondo in Boston. So I mean Did a fringe really? team in the Western Conference just walked into <sighs> your tough building, TD Garden, the same building that's probably going to intimidate Tobias Harris, and they walked out of there with a W, Andrew.
1: Wow. It's funny because I am recording here and I am I when we came on to record the podcast, I was very pissed off because I just wanted to watch the end of that Celtics Lakers game to see how depressing the Lakers could get. Uh, But lo and behold, a little bit of life from LeBron and company. That's really impressive. And now I am still kind of upset that we had to record the podcast instead of watching the rest of that game.
0: No, it's all good. I mean, it would have undercut your whole argument and confidence and everything you'd said about the Eastern Conference. <laughs> Yo, so it's probably better that you didn't I watch look- it. And meanwhile, they're they're right now as I'm watching it, they're panning to Celtics fans who just look stunned, they're holding their heads in disbelief and Rondo's getting a, a real excited walk off interview with Kristen Ledlow. It's just a hilarious scene. You
1: know, I do I'm glad the Lakers won tonight because I don't know if you saw Austin Ainge, a member of the Celtics front office dunking on the Lakers' front office after the Anthony Davis standoff and the Celtics, like, I don't know. We'll talk about that. I don't know how much the Celtics really won on Thursday, Um, but the, like, the balance of the universe, it requires that the Lakers would strike back. I can't have the Celtics getting too high, (laughs) you know? So thank God for the Rajon Rondo game winner. I feel better about the world right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, though, this is a small consolation for the Lakers being the biggest losers of the entire trade deadline, isn't it? Yes. I mean, like we we kind of buried the lead here, and we probably should have started with this, but (laughs) they went scorched earth for two weeks trying to get Anthony Davis. Uh Ultimately, they made the big offer that everybody was waiting for, and essentially, Dell Demps laughed in their face and just didn't call them back, and it played out in public in front of all their young players. Uh, it, it played out with LeBron James sort of checking out of a game against the Pacers and not really being fully engaged there and, you know, sitting by himself on the bench. And now they're in this situation where they have to put the pieces back together and they have to seriously wonder who are they going to be competing for next summer? I mean, we have no link between Kawhi Leonard and the Lakers, uh, Kyrie. I don't buy that stuff for a second. Kevin Durant and Kyrie are being courted very hard by the New York Knicks Uh, You've got even guys like Chris Middleton or Kemba Walker who are going to be getting, you know, big time offers from their incumbent teams. Mm -hmm. Tobias Harris has already gone to the Sixers. If it's not Bradley Beal and you're trying to tell me that maybe they can go a different direction with Bradley Beal, who is it? Like, who is this guy? And they're going to try to go back at Anthony Davis, but which of their assets are going to be meaningfully better this summer? than they were right now. To me, it felt like this was their window to try to get a deal done. I'm not saying it's done for good no matter what, but their life to Anthony Davis, their path to Anthony Davis gets a lot trickier come summertime.
1: Not only trickier. Look, they're not getting Anthony Davis, okay? I think we Ooh. should just be pretty clear about that. Little and, little,
0: little post-deadline cockiness. Well, I like it.
1: No, I, I don't want to toot our own horn too much. And, and frankly, it was mostly me. But I think you and I both have been pretty clear, dating back to like six weeks ago, detailing all the reasons this trade wasn't going to happen. And look, we're not Lakers employees, okay? These people are paid to think about this shit all day long. And it wasn't that hard to understand why New Orleans was not going to want to do a deal with them and to understand how long the odds really were. And to proceed with caution, okay? So for them to just clumsily barge in, leak a new trade offer every day, and expect to get Anthony Davis, and expect to put in the event that they didn't get Anthony Davis, expect everything to just be fine and normal. Like, I don't know, man. I'm sorry. Like, these people are supposed to be professionals. I don't know whether you blame Magic, whether you blame Palenka, whether you blame LeBron and Rich Paul. Like, this was just mismanaged every step of the way. And I think it's everyone in, uh, involved should be embarrassed and um, it's going to really cost them because you're right. There aren't a lot of alternatives out there and uh, I'm not sure what you do from here.
0: Lots and lots of heaters in there, Andrew. I really appreciate it. You're bringing it to the big market teams this week. Well, but um, wait a second.
1: I, I don't mean to be overly harsh. I just think that like, at the, the Lakers, where they want to be, is is they want to play for a title. They want to be at the upper echelon of the league, and and you know to to do that and to occupy that territory, like you do, have to be a little bit smart and a little bit artful and clever. And you know that's what the Clippers did. <laughs> they they sought out the desperate team. They sought out the potential idiots in the room, the Sixers, and. and were able to get two first round picks for Tobias Harris. Same deal with the Knicks. They were able to trade Porzingis and and get off 40 million dollars worth of cap space and then at the same time bring back two picks that they're going to be able to use in a trade. And like the Lakers have just never been that clever. They weren't the last two weeks and and it's the type of they they've played this so poorly that it's forced me to go back and look at how poorly they've played the last two years, and you can go back to them taking Lonzo number two, which a lot of people would have told you at the time was pretty questionable. And um, it's just it's it's upsetting because I do want the Lakers to be good, and they're just not as smart as I thought they were.
0: Yeah, and look, I made the case pretty stridently why New Orleans should try to get a trade here, and if the Lakers package what they didn't like was the best offer that they got from anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand why they didn't, but I still think that they're losers on this too, right? I mean, aren't they still hung up here? They're still hoping for Tatum months from now. There's still no guarantee they're going to get this great package. Maybe. And now it it's this awkward dance with Anthony Davis where like, I guess congratulations to the Pelicans for at least cashing in a bunch of second round picks. I do think that was a smart move around the edges, but they didn't solve anything. They just punted it to the summer. And the good thing for them, the main difference between the Pelicans and the Lakers here yeah. is the Pelicans can now go back and hide in irrelevance, right? No one's <laughs> going to care about them until June. Like, for real, all of them from the owner on down. Like, how often do we talk about Gail Benson until three weeks ago? Never, yeah. you know? And we're not going to mention her name again until June or July. The Lakers, though, are have, do not have the luxury of hiding from this drama, from... Being able to just sort of duck from expectations. I mean, to me, LeBron is now facing more pressure here over the next couple of months than at any time since he won that title in 2016. Yeah. Because not only does he have to get them into the playoffs, otherwise, that's a huge embarrassment. Not only does he have to pull this group together to sort of save his reputation as a leader and kind of, you know, clean up the mess that all these parties who were involved kind of busting up the locker room, whether it was Magic, Rich, LeBron, uh, Rob Palenka, all those guys. I mean, it's on LeBron to fix that. Those other guys can't fix it. Mm -hmm. But he's also in a fight to stay as the best player in the league, isn't he? I mean, isn't there a real chance that after this season, that title is no longer going to be his unless he makes the playoffs and really makes some noise there as well? So, and, And on top of all that, he's still competing for these free agents. And if I'm a free agent and I'm looking at the Lakers, they don't make the playoffs. They're a lottery team again. And everybody else is passing on playing with LeBron, why do I want to go play with LeBron? Don't all these other people know something else that I don't? So those are serious questions, serious pressures. And I think LeBron made a comment the other night of like, oh, I've got nothing left to prove. You know, that may be true, but he's got a lot at stake here. And I think uh, the next two months are going to be very telling.
1: Um, There's no question. The next two months are going to be one of the more fascinating stretches of the last four or five years of LeBron. Um, I I have no idea how he's going to play it the last week has not been particularly encouraging granted did not get to see the second half of tonight's celtics game when i'm sure he was superhuman and amazing um but i all of those concerns make sense to me and particularly the free agent side like when you were talking i was thinking you know man like lebron's gotta dispatch some clutch sports emissaries to toronto and break bread with uncle dennis like i just because it's like, if you're not getting, you're not getting Kyrie. Like, you're just not. And then it's like, all right, maybe Kawhi. Maybe you try to steal Clay and hope that Golden State is stupid enough to lowball him. But if Kevin Durant's leaving, which sounds increasingly likely, they're not going to not pay Clay. And then, like, I don't know what you do. Um, and so it does leave the Lakers in a really tricky spot. And here's the one thing that I would add is New Orleans... I think that they were really smart to turn down that Lakers package. The Lakers package just isn't very good. Unless you're really in on Ingram, which I'm, I love. I, I really do think Ingram is is pretty good and takes more heat than he deserves, but he's not some someone that I would feel comfortable building a new era around. And, um, you know, and people kept talking about like the Lakers, they did put in two first round picks or they put in three first round picks. Like, if you're trading Anthony Davis to to a team that's gonna that already has LeBron, those picks are gonna be pretty bad and like pretty and next to worthless okay you're getting like the 25th to tw- to 30th pick in the draft. So adding more worthless picks to the deal shouldn't really change things for New Orleans and I think that's where they ultimately came down is it's like you know what look we don't think Lonzo's very good we don't think Ingram's very good. Both these guys are going to be due for extensions in the not-too-distant future, and we don't necessarily want to pay them that much. And, and I don't think that they're losers because I think they're going to get, at worst, a pretty good deal from Boston, and that they could also turn around and get a godfather offer from the Knicks in mid-June, uh, depending on how the lottery shakes out. And I think that, that possibility is, is why I would have felt comfortable turning down LA because worst case scenario, they're going to be able to to have the Celtics and Knicks bidding against each other in June.
0: I guess. I mean, I, I, there's also a real chance that those offers aren't really that great. And I still, if I'm Boston, I don't want to trade Tatum. You know, I still don't. I mean, I'd I'd rather have him locked in on the contract that he'd be on, have him for the next seven, eight years. And so if he's not in the picture and, you know, Ainge did do a pretty masterful job of like flirting with that, but not committing to it. um, There's a chance that the Pelicans wind up, Still, after all this waiting, not getting that impressive of a package. But well, sure. Um,
1: but I, the, I, I don't know that they're going to do that much worse than what the Lakers were offering this week. Because what the Lakers were offering this week was basically a bunch of like C plus starters, so that you can go finish at best in seventh place in three or four years when all those guys mature. So like, I, if that's the alternative, I'd rather take my chances in June.
0: To be honest, the whole Anthony Davis nonsense was worth it just to hear you accurately appraise Brandon Ingram. It took six, seven months. (laughs) You were fronting like crazy during the Top 100 podcasts and all that, but you finally come around uh, to the right declaration. Hey, Andrew, I think it's time for our favorite uh, segment, don't you?
1: Well, yes, I have one more story to tell about the Pelicans. Uh, First of all, did you see that they're going to play Anthony Davis for the rest of the season?
0: Perfect. Well, they're probably worried they're going to get fined for not doing it.
1: Yeah, I I think that's got to be like a league office thing where Adam Silver made a phone call and basically just sort of said, look, you're going to play the fifth or sixth best player in the NBA. Um, But I will say I tried to steal Anthony Davis in my fantasy league by offering Jaleel Okafor and Kyle Kuzma, <laughs> and the Jeez. other person was very, very offended. And this was, look, this was when it looked like Anthony Davis wasn't going to play for the rest of the season. Uh, so it wasn't as disrespectful as it sounds, but um, even that no, guy it didn't very want Kyle Kuzma. So that's the moral of the story. Nobody really cares about these Lakers young guys.
0: It's time, Andrew, for our favorite segment. That's right, The Lantern, presented to you by LinkedIn, <laughs> three-if by Graham. Great. Here we come, Andrew. Now, this week's prompt was very topical, very timely. As I mentioned earlier, Kevin Durant kind of lost his mind uh, against the Golden State Warriors media, and it really didn't make much sense. I mean, he basically flipped out after they won by 39 points over the San Antonio Spurs, and yet he's got this big grudge going on uh, with the local media who he was, you know, accusing of, you know, connecting the dots on his summer free agency, asking him about free agency too often and not focusing on basketball. Uh We don't need to dig back into that because we've had these KD conversations for years. It's the same old thing every time. However, during his rant, Andrew, he broke out what I think is an absolutely hilarious conversational ploy, which is he told everybody in the room to quote unquote, grow up. (laughs) So what I had to do is ask all of our Open Floor Globe members on Instagram, at Ben Oliver, what is a time that they've told someone else to grow up or when have they been told to grow up? And I'm, I'm curious, Andrew, just right off the top, have you ever found yourself on the losing end of that particular dig? Because it's one that gets thrown around basically in daily conversation, right?
1: Um, no, off the top of my head, I can't think of any grow up situations. There are definitely times when I have to internally remind myself that I am not a child and I need to grow up. Uh,
0: (laughs) It's more like self-coaching rather than an attack. More
1: self-coaching for me, but nothing, uh, nothing in particular.
0: Okay, I don't know exactly how you're going to grade these, but uh, we do have a wide breadth of different options here. First things first, this is more of a representative option, Andrew. It's from our buddy uh, Mike Trudell, the Lakers writer, and he speaks for a lot of people who found this particular dig coming through in their pickup basketball games or their local rec games. Mike writes... When I was a ref, uh, when I was in college as a freshman, I whined to a referee that I had gotten fouled and there had been no call late in the game on a crucial play. (laughs) The ref turned to me and replied, son, you aren't good enough to ask for calls. Grow up. Oof. So we got a bunch of different people getting this in, uh, you know, pickup situations. What do you think? Is this qualified as good trash talk, bad trash talk? Um, would you ever deploy it in a five-on-five game? You're always trying to tell me well, how you could beat me one-on-one because I move slowly. If I hit a jumper in your face and maybe you know did a little like silencer celebration, would you spit back at me grow up, Gulliver?
1: Uh, first of all, I want to say I'm very happy that Mike Trudell was able to recover from that burn and go on to have a <laughs> successful career. I'm sure – Could have ended it. It really could have all ended right there. Because the grow up is one thing, but to say you're not good enough to complain about that call and look, no shots at Mike, but the the ref was probably telling the truth. I I think his statement was probably accurate and that's those are the burns that hurt the most. And so uh, really it's a credit Uh, to stuck with
0: him but it stuck with him you could tell like he's gotten over it but we don't know if he's fully processed (laughs) it right
1: that's the thing the fact that he remembers that i've probably been told to grow up dozens of times i just can't really recall so clearly this has been seared into his memory um yeah a, A grow up on the court is um actually pretty good trash talk because it is it it is pretty demeaning to tell someone that they're acting like a little baby
0: yeah, and there's and it's there's not really a good comeback. Like that was what I was thinking during Katie's press conference too. Like, what were the reporters supposed to say, Kevin? We are grown. Like, what do you do? You know, like there's it's not really an out. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's number two. This comes from Ben Moorwood. He writes, uh, "I had just gotten off the plane from Orlando to Miami, and as me as, and me and my friend were boarding the next plane, we saw Timothy Mozgov getting on the same flight. We couldn't believe it." As we walked by Moskov on the plane, my friend tried to sneakily take a photo of him and Moskov just looked right back at him with this blank stare like, come on, bro. (laughs) We then got to our seats and we were only about five rows behind Moskov and my friend's just deciding, look, I've got to get video of the back of Moskov's head. So he's standing up and using his cell phone camera to take photos. I'm sure Moskov knew he was there, but he wasn't even turning around. The video was just of the back of his head. At that point, other people were looking around. I was starting to get nervous and I had to drop the fateful phrase. Come on, man. It's only Timothy Moskov. You've got to grow up. My friend didn't really listen and continued to follow him into the baggage terminal after the flight. That's the end of the story. So what do you think, Andrew? Is publicly stalking celebrities cause for growing up or is that fair game?
1: Um, no, it's definitely cause for growing up. I'm glad that this emailer, you know, I'm glad that he intervened so that Mozgov didn't have to. I'm sure that would have been incredibly uncomfortable for him to turn around and see someone five rows behind <laughs> him craning his neck to get the video of the back of his head. Just so it's, it's a pretty bleak situation you've laid out there. Um,
0: yeah, he could have gotten a video of himself getting punched in the face if that had gone south, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: no, but. You know, to my earlier point, this story reminds me of uh, a story of my own. When I was flying back on the red eye from LA maybe five or six years ago, and I was on a flight with Dewan Blair. It was before wizard season. Mm. And so Dewan Blair and I. We're on the little train at Dulles. They have these little like buses that it's, it's a bus, not a train, but you go from terminal to terminal. And so it's 6am and we're standing there and I'm kind of looking over at him and I'm like, I actually don't know who you are, but like he was carrying an NBA basketball, first of all, <laughs> and then also was on one of those little like uh Segway type things. Um it was they they were like the J.R. Smith, the the like floating <laughs> scooter. I don't know. Do you remember that at all?
0: Of course I do. Could you tell how many ACLs he had? Or <laughs> well, was maybe, that not yes. visible?
1: <laughs> maybe it was a precautionary measure for old DeWan Blair. But um anyway, so I was like this guy plays for the Wizards but I can't quite place him and he kind of gave me a look where he was like I know you know I play for the Wizards, but, like, it's 6 a.m., don't bother me. And I— he Leave me alone. Yes, he conveyed that with his eyes, and I was able to quietly to myself say, look, you've been around a, a lot of basketball players. Just play it cool. Grow up. <laughs> and so I did that <laughs> successfully, and we both went our separate ways. I've never really reconnected with DeWan Blair since that morning at Dulles Airport, but— um. Yeah, and people, everybody who's above the well, age of, like, 22 should be playing it cool around, like, F-list level basketball players like Timothy Mozgov and Dewan Blair.
0: See, this is why we do the lantern, because you get this amazing life advice from <laughs> Dr. Sharp. You know, I think you should track down Dewan Blair and try to have a reunion. I'm sure he remembers that situation. Yep. Okay, Andrew. Yes. Here's number three for you from J.R. Holtz, and it's easily the best one. He writes... I used to work summers in college at a beach resort, setting up beach chairs and umbrellas for the guests. One day, a guest called down for us to set up some chairs, and I happily did because that was my job. When the guests came down, they berated me for not putting any towels on their chairs. We never put towels on the chairs to begin with. After five minutes of yelling, they decided to take the towels I was offering them and go about their merry way. The next day, the very same guests called down, and this time they specifically request that towels have to be on the chair. I went over to the chairs and stacked probably 20 towels on every single chair. I am six feet tall, and the towel towers were well (laughs) above my head. When the guests came down... Uh, They didn't even walk over to our stand. Instead, he saw the towels and yelled out across the beach, grow up, and then he went back up to his room without even using the chairs. Was he right? Yes, I did need to grow up. Did I care? No. (laughs) What a story from J.R. Holtz. And so here's my question, Andrew. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been willing to risk your job to prove a point like that, because I guess I came away from this story from J.R. Holtz in almost awe, admiration of how far he was willing. I mean, he's almost like a political protester with these towels, yeah. isn't he?
1: No, look, I to me the moral of that story is that sometimes you don't need to grow up, and sometimes you do need to just <laughs> make a really immature petty point and just take a stand against the assholes of the universe and it sounds like that's exactly what he was doing and he should be proud of himself and proud of his immaturity there
0: that's all we've got andrew the lantern came through in a big time (laughs) way we've learned when to grow up from you when not to grow up and what a great slogan that is feel free to incorporate it in your daily life listeners it's a good one
1: there we go i'm really tired so on that note um we, I, you know what, I do want to talk more about the Kevin Durant thing next week because I thought it was really interesting. And, it, and it, there, there is room to have some discussions on KD that we haven't already had. Um, but, uh, and there's also a lot more from the trade deadline that we didn't cover on this scatterbrained deadline recap. But, Ben, uh,
0: I look, we should tease this a little bit better because next week, what we're going to bring back, Andrew. It is Ollie's clapback, okay? Because as the listeners will remember, Ollie went at KJ. KJ fired back. We got ourselves into a family (laughs) argument of epic proportions. But guess what, Andrew? We heard from Ollie uh, from New Zealand. He may have even sent in pictures of himself, hostage photos that I had requested. And this is the official tease. Check back at next week's first episode, and we will reveal all these huge messages to KJ and the rest of the Open Floor Globe. Until then, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. Bang the five stars. We really appreciate it. We're also on the worldfamousradio.com slash open Floor. Check us out there. Don't forget, go click Andrew's columns, even though he read uh, read them to you on this episode. Go click my (laughs) columns. Uh, Try to show us your support during this very trying trade deadline season. Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you.
1: All right, man, take it easy.